0: Welcome to Ask a Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Ask a Therapist, it's lovely to have you here. Today I'm doing something slightly different on the podcast. I'm handing over my microphone to Martina Witter and she is going to be interviewing me. She asked me a few weeks ago if I would come on her podcast, Rivers to Resilience. So if you are interested in anything to do with resilience, which I know we all are, um, head over there and I'll pop a link in the show notes. Martina is um, an expert resilience trainer she does a lot of work in the corporate industry she does a little bit of tv work so she's coming to screen near you soon to be on your tv and she's a brilliant therapist we trained together a number of years ago and since we trained together we've done similar things in our business and become really good friends so business besties i would say We talk in this episode about all things journaling, resilience, self-awareness. I share some things that I've not shared before as well, which is a bit different for me. Um, But I hope you enjoy the episode. I know I really love being um, interviewed by Martina. She's very easy to get on with and chat to. Um, Let me know what you think.
1: So how would you describe your, you know, resilience? What role has that had for you as a CBT therapist? And what role has it just had in your life in general?
0: Such an interesting question. I love all the questions that you put together. I've really enjoyed looking at them over this last week. I think resilience is, I don't think it's something you ever consider as a child and growing up. I know I didn't really consider it until a lot later on. I think when you get hit yourself, I know. Um, I suppose in my life, I think we've got something in common that I don't think we've ever talked about. But um, I also lost a parent.
1: Oh, right. I not
0: So when I was fourteen, so I, I don't. I think life had just been child carefree, and then at fourteen, my dad was unfortunately killed in a car accident. Right. And that I think losing a parent is just absolutely pivotal life changing isn't it and yeah it is things really changed for me there and from that moment I think I got a huge drive and independence and motivation and you know it's given me immense resilience going through that. I mean it's the hardest thing that I ever went through but also um, you know has has also given me an awful lot and that so out of difficulty comes resilience. And while that was brilliant, I think the last 10 years in my life, I've looked at softening some of that drive, some of that motivation and getting balance as well. And that's been, you know, that's been a different type of rewarding thing. But that's, you know, but I think resilience for me is about being able to roll with life's punches, to be able to kind of go with what life throws at you and to bounce back as quickly,
1: as possible and i guess globally we've all been facing lots of punches lots of challenges with the pandemic with the war in ukraine just 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 yeah it's it just feels like it's non-stop
0: and it is nonstop. I think life is not like Instagram, is it? It is really, really tough. Everybody has the story, and I, th- I always think that as therapists, that's the one thing that we learn that not everybody gets to learn is that everybody has the story. Everybody that walks into my clinic room, I just think you're so, so amazing. You know, I'm obviously fascinated by people that you know really intrigued, but every and they sit down and they have this incredible story. And I know that everybody walks around with a struggle and their story and life has happened to them. And I think lots of people feel like it's only me that's gone through this stuff and it's only me that's had this experience.
1: And actually, life is really tough and we've all struggled. And you can't, you can't judge a book by its cover. Like I said, everyone has a story, everyone has a history. And when we meet people, we meet them at certain chapters in their life. And we, we, they may have already gone through an immense struggle or trauma. Or if you're not going through it now, we guarantee you that at some point, unfortunately, in the future, you will because challenges, adversity is, is, is something that we're guaranteed to face. We'll all lose someone in our lives and nothing can prepare for you, you for that. Nothing, Nothing can, but it's... I guess it's important to try and build those resilience muscles. So trying to learn new skills that can help with building resilience, kind of just our personal resilience.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to some people try and kind of get rid of any adversity in their life and try and keep themselves safe as possible. And there's risk in that. And the more controlled we try and be, the more problematic that can be. So it's about kind of, there will be adversity leaning into that fact. And what can you do to build a great foundation to roll with the punches that life is going to throw at us?
1: Yes. So how would you, how would you, from your perspective as a therapist how would you encourage people to to kind of lean into into the challenge into the adversity or to trying to kind of find advantage in adversity and maybe just kind of drawing upon your own life experiences because i guess experiencing the loss of your dad at 14 is a major trauma and it makes me think of i was in my early 20s when my mum passed away and my younger brother he was around 14 and i Acknowledge that the impact that it had on him was far greater because of where he was in his kind of developmental age. So he never wanted to go to the grave. We would all go, but he um, he kind of resisted, which I can understand. And he was more avoidant. So I'm I'm just kind of wondering if you're okay, maybe to elaborate a little on that
0: yeah I mean it, I think 14 is a horrible age isn't it it really is but I had a younger brother and my younger brother was 10 and I and it's interesting you say that because I don't think there is a, a good age I lost my father-in-law about um six no, six seven years ago now and, and I need him you know so you know my brother was 10 and I've always had that thought about him that that's that was harder because I'd had my dad for a number more years, um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure there isn't an, an easy time.
1: Yeah. So how how did you lean in? Maybe if with, with that experience or with other other experiences in, in adversity.
0: I suppose with that experience, I it wasn't. I wasn't being self aware at all. I think I. um, <laughs> I kind of sometimes I think maybe life has changed now but I've recently worked with somebody who's lost who had lost a parent at that age um not so long ago and everybody around us just ignored it so I went to school after two weeks nobody had mentioned it because um because they didn't know how to approach it they didn't know how to talk to me about it um I was in absolute shock and I think you know my mum was around but I think when you lose one parent for you know you lose another as well because they're in the midst of grief which you don't understand and I I got through that time by um, I suppose being thinking about my future really I suppose and building up being really independent and very motivated and very driven to kind of leave home and do my own thing right
1: okay at such a young age that's impressive
0: whether that was right or wrong. I mean, if I could look back now and think about it, I would have, you know, made sure I was a lot more supported by people around me, talked as much as I could. But people don't know how to talk about grief, do they? And and loss. So they tend so and you get that kind of this is all quite quickly, and you learn very quickly to shut it down. Um, but you know, talk, get support.
1: If I, you know, but hindsight's brilliant, isn't it? It's twenty twenty. So it sounds like with, with with that experience you were already you already had that right that 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 kind of growth mindset that optimistic mindset focused on the future and you were already looking to try and successfully navigate through that and that's kind of ties in with the rivers to resilience and one of the one of the rivers is looking at a growth mindset and you know how you might someone might perceive setbacks or or failures and kind of acknowledging that this isn't the end. Because for another 14-year-old, their response could have been the opposite. Their world could have come crumbling down.
0: Yeah, my dad was quite driven. He was quite forward-thinking. He was a real doer. And I suppose, you know, that sometimes when somebody dies, you the only thing you can do for them is live more, live harder and live more. And for their legacy to be a bigger, better life, You know, I would hate for me to die or anybody to die and then somebody else's life to be absolutely ruined and they live life just grieving. It's, you know, it's I think the biggest thing we can do for people is live big. Yes,
1: I totally agree with that. Totally concur. As you were just as you were um, speaking, I just felt like I was listening to myself, Sarah, because that is what drives me. In a lot of what I do, my mum was very driven, and I feel that because she passed away very young. She was well; she was just a few years older than me, so she was very. I think she was forty-six. So I so young. It it, it was it. It's it's. I mean, it didn't feel for me. It didn't feel young at the time, but for, like I'm forty-two, I'm like I'm young. I've got lots of energy, lots of life to live. But but in a lot of what I do, I I feel like I'm living her unfulfilled dreams because my mum was a she was a single parent mum. She had four children, multiple jobs. She sent all of us to private school. I don't know how she did it. God, that's amazing. She was a super woman. She was. So for me, it's like she wanted us to to have what she didn't have. So that's what drives me now. It, it, it's living her unfulfilled dream. She would take me to all of these business conferences. <laughs> Did she? Yeah, I didn't, yeah. It, yeah, I didn't fully know what was going on, but but it always, I was always in the in in the, a space where there was always opportunities and possibilities of, of of excelling. So, and she actually trained to be, she was training to be a counselor, but then she didn't move on to the next stage. So I think, yeah, she has shaped a lot of my life. Big stellato to fill. Yeah, I go. <laughs> And I will fill them, in, and it is all about legacy.
0: You are filling them, Martine. Oh, thank
1: <laughs> you. One day at a time. <laughs> One day at a time. So, how, how would you say that? You know, resilience. How? What role would you say it's contributed in terms of the success that you're experiencing in your life professionally? And personally, because resilience and success, they're kind of married together, aren't they? Yes, yes.
0: I suppose resilience has been about, I suppose, awareness. And I really kind of had to think about my life a lot more when I when I hit 40, I was in private practice, you know, so i had lost all the security of the NHS and sick pay and stuff, and I became quite unwell with a underactive thyroid. And my background's in nursing. So I'm, yeah, no, we've talked about hugely driven, independent. I can do all the long shifts and all that. I'd ne- I'd worked hard, but I'd never really kind of thought about myself. And I became ill with the underactive thyroid. I had quite, a, quite bad chronic fatigue for a couple of years. Um, and I went to the GP and let them sort it out. And there was so much they could do. And... Then they'd given me the tablet and all the advice they could and it was over to me. And I was in my mindset, you go to a GP, they fix you and life is rosy. And that's that's not what happened for me. Um, and then I got um, a celiac disease, which has been a bit of a nightmare as well. And You know, so a few things came together. And I think at the point the GP said to me, well, that's it. That's all we do. I had to start. Thinking about taking control. And that's how the CBT journal came about is that I, instead of kind of leaving my health and over to somebody else, I started thinking, right, I've got to get control now and start understanding the patterns of our minds. And thinking about how I've trained as a CBT therapist, our thoughts impact how we feel and what we do, and then create the worlds that we live in. I thought, how can I apply this to myself? And I started journaling and really understanding good days, bad days, you know, everyday journaling, really increasing that self-awareness. Because so many of us walk around in automatic pilot and we don't have awareness of mind. But when you really like I'll say to in client to clients in session, um, how do you talk to yourself? And they have no idea. We have no awareness of mind, not aware of the quality of the environment that you're walking around with. We're with our minds all the time. They're very powerful, they impact everything. So and we can't be in therapy every day. You know, we see a therapist maybe once <laughs> once or once a week, maybe every fortnight. But journaling is a tool that we can use every day. And I know you're a big advocate of journaling. And that really helped me start to see the patterns of my mind once i could see what was a good day what was a bad day i could then start to implement things and i've um put together something called building resilience workbook on my um it's available you can download it for free on my website But from what I found, I kind of put together kind of six things that for me really built my resilience up. I could, annoyingly for me, I could really see that if I went to the gym, (laughs) I felt better and it stopped. With underactive thyroid, you gain loads of weight and like gained a stone like really quickly. Um, And Going to the gym, it makes me feel better. And because I was journaling about this, like as much as I, like I'm not, I wasn't a gym goer. I love exercise now, I really do. But I hated it. Um, but because I was keeping this diary, I could see that if I exercised, I'd feel so much better. And you can't ignore that evidence. And in CBT, it's a lot about testing things out, and you need to record it to test stuff out. It's, it gives you such good evidence doing mindfulness you know if you do it consistently on a regular basis it's really beneficial but you need it's so hard to just reflect back and think how you know what was that like has that, that been useful to me but when you're journaling about it the uh, it stands out so that really I suppose I had this drive motivation very independent a bit of a workaholic and I had and my body was like, okay, now stop. And I had to tune in and listen to me. And I think over these last seven years, um, and of course the menopause has come along in those seven years, which is even more fun for us women, that you really, in order to build resilience, it's about taking a very holistic approach. I think personally as well, one of the things that's been really useful for me is that I have, I talked to my clients about something called stress anchors, um, that we need to have, I say, at least five stress anchors in our life. And those are things that you do every single day. And you can maybe not do them for a few weeks, but you need to know that you're not doing them and bring them online. So my stress anchors are journaling, regularly seeing my friends, reading nonfiction books, um gratitude, um, doing yoga, exercise. You know, I have things that are kind of real anchors in my life. And if I can't read a fiction book, I know that's because I'm too stressed now. And I might not do it for a few weeks, but it's on my radar that I need to bring it in. And I think we need to have these kind of resilience anchors or stress anchors that, you know, ground us and constantly building our resilience up.
1: And it's very personal, isn't it? Because we've all got different values. So for you, it's you know the yoga, reading nonfiction, um, you know the mindfulness, the gratitude. But for someone else, it might be something different, depending upon, yeah, th- their characteristics, their values, what gives them purpose, really. So I-, I love that you that you shared those examples. So for the listeners, think about you know what is important to you. And they're some of the areas that we cover in the the Rivers to Resilience model. So we ensure that it is a holistic approach, the seven rivers, because we're all different. And it makes me think of one of the rivers, which is looking at social connectedness and spirituality. So some people may not be spiritual. So if you're not, then obviously you don't focus on that, that river. But for other people, that could be very important. And then that will help kind of bolster their resilience, and their well-being so i love that that you shared that and also being active that links in with one of the other rivers which is like physical health fitness and exercise and it's making it work for you because sometimes people think oh resilience like oh what does that mean what what do i need to do but it's about making it work for you tailoring it to to the individual as well, the,
0: mo- the most important relationship we have is with ourselves, and we look after ourselves, everything else will fall into place. And some people don't care for themselves because they think it's self indulgent or mm-hmm. you know, or they're selfish if they focus on themselves. But if you focus on yourself, you're in a much better position for everybody else around you, and that's your teams, your work colleagues. And stuff so actually you know building resilience up within yourself makes you and especially in therapy you know we work with the minds of other people every day and and minds that are often distressed and upset so it's it's fundamental part of my care for my clients is that I look after myself because when we when we are not resilient and we're in threat mode, you focus inwards, we, we're, when we're not feeling well, we're not good, or we're stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, our attention goes inwards. When we're in a good place, we're not focusing on ourselves, because we don't need to, we're out there doing our best work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes me think about leaders and managers in organisations and, and the importance of them doing the work on themselves, being self aware, as a as a leader because your team is coming to you for support for guidance or maybe for you know supervision and if you're not in a good place you're not self-aware then you could be having a a negative and adverse effect upon your team members which is ultimately going to affect performance and productivity and employees should be going to their managers for support but we know that a lot of the research shows that if people are struggling they don't really open up to their managers so managers have got to create that environment and safe space for their team absolutely yeah I know
0: I don't know if you know the work of Deborah Lee's doing a lot of work in leadership within the NHS and compassionate leadership and she starts her workshops by saying it starts with you leaders come into the workshops thinking they're going to learn about their team and about Things outside of them, and it starts with the leader focusing on themselves, and then they're in a resilient place for
1: everybody around them. It's a big responsibility being a leader, isn't it? Being an effective leader, should I say, because there's many leaders, and they're not necessarily as effective um, as they could possibly be. So, what I want us to do now is just to kind of elaborate a little bit more around journaling and self-awareness and how that can enhance resilience because that that is the first river to resilience because it's important for us as as individuals as leaders even just in your family in all kind of domains and spheres of life for us to be self-aware emotionally aware because that is the that positions us for success in terms of building resilience. And it makes me I always share this when I talk about resilience and do training that we've got to locate ourselves. And when you think about the kind of a sat nav and the GPS, you know, if you want in, if there's a certain destination that you're going to, you've got to type in, well, it actually it finds it for you at Google Maps, it locates where you are. But imagine if it was faulty, how would you be able to arrive at your destination? and that is a really helpful analogy when we think about self awareness and how that can enable us to build resilience so i love that you've shared about your experience sarah of journaling when you had you know health difficulties and how that allowed you to build your resilience what else would would you share in terms of how journaling can help to enhance resilience and also i guess the thinking about the consistency with journaling because you, you can start off really good and then after a couple of weeks you, you, you can stop and i'm sharing from my own experience i'm just being and mine as well yeah. that's
0: everybody isn't it that, <laughs> yeah. that's all of us yeah. I think journaling, the very act of deciding to journal, you know, you might kind of brush it away and say, is this a bit hippy trippy? Um, but there's actually a lot of research around, um, around it that it improves clarity. People are more likely to reach their goals if they're journaling. It helps build resilience. It's releasing stress, you know, gives clarity. And th- there's a whole host of things. A lot of the work comes from Dr. James Penbaker. And, you know, on a very fundamental thing, resilience starts with getting the basics right, your hydration, food, sleep, you know, all those basic stuff. And being able to sit down and give yourself even 10 minutes of reflection is a basic kind of anchor, isn't it? So you're giving yourself time you're starting to think about what's going on for me. And the way, reason I quite like journal. lots of people, when I talk to them about journal, and they go, well, what, what am I going to write?
1: <laughs> what are you <laughs> not going to write? That's what. I... <laughs> There's always lots going on. <laughs> there is, but it's difficult to access
0: it, and it can feel a bit weird to write it down, can't it? But sometimes using the framework of CBT is, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? How are you feeling? What's going on in your body? What's your behaviors? What are you motivated to do? Can give a framework for it on Instagram. I'm always putting journal prompts, and people use those as kind of a starting base. But thinking about, you know, you can start by thinking what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your body, what are you motivated to do? And once you start it will just flow and lots of stuff will come out and then you know i always find it useful to put a timer on my um phone um for 10 minutes and i just journal for 10 minutes because i find that pressure works for me and i will just write for 10 minutes um and you know you're uh, you're Starting, I I think there's something important about putting pen to paper as well. I mean, doing it on your notes on your phone is great if that's all you've got. But I think, and I'm I'm sure James Penbaker talks about the science of actually writing it down, gives you a clarity. It gives you a bit of distance. You start to see the patterns of your mind, and with awareness of your mind comes choice. When you know what your mind's doing, you then have choice over what you do with it. And often, especially with leaders, um, I think that we can, in order to get yourself to a position of leading, often we can be quite critical, and I think you know, and hard on ourselves, and we're trying to get to that spot and that place in leadership. And I, criticism isn't might get you there, but it's not going to keep you there. You're going to get burned out and overwhelmed. So understanding how you're coaching yourself. And if you would coach yourself as you coach your employees in your workforce is hugely important. And I don't know another way of finding that out other than journaling therapy. Business coaching is great, you know, and I see a lot of business owners now that are coming to therapy because They want more of that psychological input to get awareness of the mind. And definitely my job as a therapist is to reflect people's mind to them, is to really pick out the patterns of their mind. But I see huge kind of success with people that come to the therapy session, but are journaling in between. You just see their growth is huge and it's, un- it's uncomfortable to do because you're turning towards difficulty but in engaging with difficulty means that you can work with the opposite of that is avoiding it holding at arm's length, ignoring it and those problems get bigger so
1: yeah and it's, it's I guess when you do that you're just kind of internalising all of your emotions and, and they will come out sooner rather than later so it's, it's kind of weighing up and balance and think about the costs and benefits of journaling and not journaling, ultimately, and like you said, that there is a science behind journaling behind being self aware, and it's focusing on the long term benefits and being able to tolerate those uncomfortable feelings or or emotions. And as with anything, it's a skill. Initially, you might start and you feel a bit rusty. But then
0: I and I love it now. It, it feels like a dose of self care. If I've got time to journal um, a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening, I feel like I'm in control. Um, my life's balance. I'm looking after myself. It's, you know, it it's just part of things going smoothly for me. Another thing that I'd add is that when we journal, if we're going through a really tough time, I think it's really useful information but we have something called where we have a cognitive a negative cognitive bias to put down what what's not going right so in the journal i talk about kind of gratitude and how important that is so i think it's you know always nice to finish um uh, piece of journaling with some gratitude because then you're toning up the positive emotions and positive emotions we need to work on them they're like muscles we need to train them up they're brilliant for resilience but how often do we think oh we kind of focus on being proud of what we've achieved that day and notice how we feel it in our body you know we don't do that but journaling as well gives you um a brilliant opportunity to to focus on the positive and build up those positive emotions and feelings,
1: And also, I guess, around the kind of self-awareness and journaling and just kind of linking it back to resilience, having, you know, whether it's a, a digital app that you're using to journal or an actual physical um, book or just a piece of paper, whatever it is, having that as as a record is powerful for those tough times, and it helps you to remember how far you've come along in you know life, life's journey. And sometimes w- we do forget, so it, journaling is really helpful in kind of boosting our memory and being able to kind of shift that focus towards the, the positive, you know, as you shared, in, and challenging that that kind of negative bias and just giving you that clarity of of, of thought because life is so busy, isn't it? Sometimes your head can be so full that it's difficult. And I love that you shared about the the gratitude part of it, because that takes me back to to COVID. And I was shielded and I started using a, a gratitude journal. That's what was kind of keeping me sane. Oh, I know. I've, got, I've bought in
0: Waterstones at the moment. I've got this. It's absolutely gorgeous, and then it's got a morning meditation. What today's focus is, an affirmation for to for a day for the day, which I am really enjoying doing. What am I grateful for? Excited about? And then the end of the day, and that's that's really nice, and it's lovely. It just
1: feels. I am one for. Um, I think we're quite similar, Sarah, with books. I've got <laughs> books. In, I've got one. I, I, it's, I use it as a bit of a journal and kind of look at business stuff. but Actually, I had lost this and I was I was devastated, and I found it recently. So sometimes I just actually like the feel of it. It just <laughs> and the thing
0: that's part of it, isn't it? Having a lovely book, a lovely pen, you know, lighting a
1: candle and and stuff like that. It's yeah. all about it, it, it's that self care and reminding ourselves that we are important and and we we deserve the best in life and it doesn't need to be costly but it's just about knowing what what we value as individuals and setting that time aside to understand what we do for example through journaling and knowing that actually what's not working for us and if it's not get rid yes absolutely
0: and I like what you made an important point before about looking back over it and reviewing what you've written which is I find that really hard to do at times but that's where the power was when I you know when I was not well I was I mean if I could have not gone to the gym and just seeing that eating buns was good for me I would have been doing that and I was I was like oh no but I it, it really helped me be consistent with my exercise and now I love it but I if I I would never have got to that had I not been looking back and having things you know and 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 seeing how well you've done at difficult times as well how tough things can get and how resilient you are is good evidence for you're going to be resilient in the future life can throw whatever it wants you're gonna it might not be easy but you can work with it
1: yeah and I guess that will motivate you, won't it, to to continue using those strategies if you know that it's actually working. So it's reinforcing that that new behavior. That's that's building up your your resilience muscles. And we've talked about the gym and exercise, and and that's resilience. It's a muscle. You've got to keep working that muscle. And if you stop, then it's it's going to be a little bit weak, weak for want of a better word. So you've, consistency is the key with With resilience, if you want to be able to find advantage in adversity and to kind of leverage those those challenging times you you've got to embrace adversity advice, um embrace challenges because it is part of life and you'd mentioned earlier about um you know uh, avoiding situations or challenges, and that is just gonna set it setting yourself up for. For a setback ultimately and you know do we want to create a life full of setbacks or do we want to create a life full of opportunities that we have the choice to do that and with resilience it's about being intentional it doesn't just happen we're not just you know we don't just wake up one day and 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 we're resilient and and that's not the case and i love what you shared about, reflecting on the journal, seeing that actually eating all these cakes and buns were not helping you, but going to the gym wasn't and <laughs> that's the kind of a, i mean I'm still on my, my health journey, but in terms of the exercise that's what helped that's what keeps me going. It makes me think of this week i was I had such a busy day, but i 'm committed to going a minimum of three times a week. I was exhausted, I was tired, but I just dragged my body to the gym because I knew what was good for me and what was going to build my physical resilience so I could build my kind of mental resilience. And then by the end of the gym, I felt energized and I go to the gym quite late. It was about like 10 o'clock at night. I'm a night owl, but, but I was like, yes. And I totally forgot about feeling exhausted beforehand. I got my protein bar from, from, um, from the, um, the cafe in the gym just to give me a bit of you know energy. And it wasn't even nice. <laughs> but sometimes you just do what you know you've got to do that's resilience and that that's self leadership that's effectively leading ourselves and when we think about leadership you've got to lead yourself first before you're going to lead anyone else are we leading ourselves yeah and that health journey is just it's just a lifestyle isn't
0: it It never ends, and that's your psychological resilience as well. It's not something you can do for a while and think I'm going to have, do eight weeks of mindfulness. It's it's a lot, It has to be a lifestyle,
1: doesn't it? It does, and you've just got to check in with yourself regularly to see how you how you're getting on. Definitely. But what I want us to kind of kind of move along a little and just think about the the rivers to resilience model and and the seven rivers, and we've we've kind of touched upon a few of them already. But I would just love to kind of hear for yourself what would you say has been most instrumental in building your resilience. And I'll just kind of recap the seven rivers to resilience. So the first one is looking at self-awareness, emotional awareness and regulation. The second one is looking at kind of cognitive training, mindset chain, training. So that kind of links with um, mindfulness or kind of coping with some of the unhelpful thoughts and reframing them Then the stress management. So maybe relaxation, yoga, focusing on physical health, fitness and exercise social connectedness spirituality and then growth mindset and self-affirmation so which of those would you say has been most instrumental or has it been a combination of all of them?
0: it's been an absolute it's been absolutely all of them absolutely all of them i think the first is like the first is it i love that that you've got that first because i think that is the first pillar of resilience isn't it you, you know awareness through journaling mindfulness develops kind of self awareness with that awareness, then you can start looking at kind of what thoughts best serve me getting more cognitive flexibility, working with your thoughts, your feelings, emotions, and kind of thinking about your behavior and then I think you know I was uh, another thing I was very avoidant of was yoga I was like oh my god I haven't got time in my life for that rubbish right that's interesting because you seem so committed to it I see your post on there I know and I'm going to get one of my yoga teachers to come on my podcast because um I suppose I was lucky that a yoga studio opened up yoga life down the road from me and um and I went, I remember going to this class and thinking the woman would be a bit like there'd be joss everywhere and loads of tie dye and it's like not me at all. And I remember I sat at the front of the um, yoga studio because I was like, well, I need to know, because I don't, I've not been to yoga, I don't know. What this is about, so I need to sit at the front. I now know that everybody who knows what they're doing sits at the front, don't they? The ones that have got all the outfits on, and everybody who doesn't sits at the back. But I was like, no, it's of a, I need to see her every move. And it was like this power yoga, is like, and it, really trendy music, and I just absolutely fell in love with it because yoga has changed. But I think it because I had a, b- a bit of chronic fatigue weights and cardio weren't that good it was more about so I had to build up um strength and and it and I think that has built up my spirituality as well the kind of connecting the mind with the breath and the body you know because um, my supervisor Mary Welford, talks a lot about this that in order to kind of have a calm mind you need a calm body you you have to calm the body down. You have to learn to calm the body down. So a lot of what we do in CBT is changing the thoughts. But if you're in a really anxious physiology, you can't change your thinking. You have to work with the body. Um, So that was really good for me. and, And it got me I went actually booked on a yoga retreat very quickly after that first class and did it for a week
1: right oh that's
0: impressive that it was up at five in the morning chanting and doing yoga like all day for five days and I was so strong by the end of it I was it oh, was like brilliant amazing. so it gives me a real kind of strength but it's also helped me how to slow down because I think I've always I would have struggled with just mindfulness so now i, I mindfulness. But,
1: um, you know, I think it was a great route into that fantastic. So, I guess, essentially, what you've shared is that in terms of your building your personal resilience, it's, it's kind of a combination of all of the kind of rivers to resilience, but the the, the kind of the initial pillar is that self awareness, and journaling, locating yourself and knowing what what is going on (laughs) with yourself, and then you can take action.
0: And I think you've got to get the basics right. You can't ignore the basics. Like sleep is fundamental to, it's the foundation of mental health, isn't it? And how many leaders or people in the workplace don't focus, you know, it's kind of a, uh, you get a medal if you've only had about three hours sleep. And this is really, really scary, you know, because your brain just won't function well. So sleep, diet, hydration, all those basics in place, which I think you've got kind of under uh, the, the
1: physical health and the, yeah the fitness and exercise Yes, yeah yeah I think that's hugely important and I think we, we, we can't overlook the the, the 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 connection between the mind and the body and that's why we've got to take a holistic pr- approach it's not one or the other it's it's a combination um, of, of the two and I guess like you were saying for leaders if, if you're overlooking your sleep it is going to it's going to bite you eventually and it, it it will affect your performance and productivity and it affects you, your cognitive abilities, your decision making.
0: Well having less than seven hours sleep is equivalent to getting up and having a couple of units of alcohol and getting on with your day so it's huge, it's absolutely, literally we shouldn't be driving if we've
1: had less than seven hours sleep. Right. I tend to have about six. I don't know why. I feel like I, I, I've needed less later on in life, around six am.
0: Well, have a look at the work of Matthew Walker. He's done some really good podcasts. Um, I think he's been on Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast and Joe Rogan's. But he's done a book, Why We Sleep, which is actually quite scary. It will make you really prioritise sleep. He softened his message a little bit after his hit the first work he did um but yeah it's sleep has to be absolutely
1: yeah i'm getting better i think what what i tend to do is i focus on the fact that okay i don't need to stay up and do this work now go to sleep now and you can just do it the, the next day but i think it's the challenge of being a business owner entrepreneur there's always something to do and I guess it kind of fits with the journaling. You just, I just need to. And I am doing it. you just got to stop. But sometimes when you, you don't give yourself that time to reflect, sometimes we do things that are not actually helping us in the long term. So we've got to reflect, haven't we?
0: There's a book out recently that lots of entrepreneurs and business leaders are reading around. It's called Shorter. And it's about doing um, a four-day work week and how... That sounds great. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> You know, if you reduce the hours with which you work, you increase productivity.
1: That is the goal. Is it Sweden? There's a country that's introduced the four. Is it Sweden? It's somewhere in Scandinavia. They've introduced a four day, four day working week because, like you said, you could be in work five days or more, but actually are you being productive.
0: They say after about eight hours of a working day that you're not you, your productivity doesn't increase really. And I know in France um, they are very firm around their nine to five working hours and people work a lot in a lot more focused way and take their breaks and, and productivity doesn't really shift. So.
1: so we need to look at applying that
0: <laughs> in the UK. I think, you know, I know we both love what we do, don't we? And so many people do. So it's easy, it's easy to just keep going and going and going.
1: It doesn't feel like work. I mean, let's. I'm just going to be honest. Look at us, it's Saturday. Stop it. Listen to us shouting it. We're so committed, though. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, it, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like work. No, I've been dead excited looking forward to this. Yes. <laughs> So is there anything else you want to share about resilience, self-awareness and journaling before we move on to, to some other areas? No, I think we've
0: given a, you know, I'm sure I'll think about some stuff later, but I think that's quite comprehensive. Yeah, there's loads of blogs. If anybody wants, I've got like the benefits of journaling, how to start a journal, therapy journals, gratitude journals. I've written loads of blogs on my website so people can
1: get that stuff out. Fantastic. So, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, Sarah, what would you say?
0: Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I actually can
1: be, I got this off you.
0: <laughs>
1: I introduced the after being on your podcast.
0: Fantastic. And isn't it a brilliant question? I love asking it, people. So, I think I would say to my younger self, um, you're about to go on an amazing journey, uh, you know, and embrace that. Um, gosh, what else would I say to my, I did write some notes, let me see. Yeah, I, I think you're a, a, you're going to go on an amazing journey, believe in yourself, believe in what you think's right. I would definitely say do your bloody homework yeah (laughs) that's a good
1: one I like that (laughs)
0: because I've done a lot of my studying later on and I really think that I mean god I never would have got to this my younger self never would have got to this but I think the things that we do every single day make our future you know it's it's the little habits every single day that create an amazing future and don't ignore the little stuff i know there's this kind of story around if um you are flying a plane and you're going to go to new york if you change the steering wheel by like three degrees you end up in canada so just the little change in navigation you can end up in such a different place so focus on the little things every day
1: yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. And it's, it's about that um, incremental changes and it just one day at a time. And sometimes we can just be so focused on the bigger picture, the bigger goal. And that can, can sometimes be quite disheartening because it feels un- unattainable. So I love that you, that you shared that and I will link that back to resilience. It's the same thing. It's the small the things, the small things that you do every day making those right choices that are gonna enhance your resilience, learning to say no about what's not going to serve, say no to those buns, <laughs> and say, say yes to like, even if it's a five or 10 minute walk, you know, in, in the middle of the day, all of that is going to help too, to kind of build and, and bolster your resilience.
0: Thank you for listening to Ask A Therapist. For more information about the CBT Journal, visit my website at sarahdreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast. And you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag #AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Reese, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.